Welcome back to Word and Table, a bi-weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship and why it is vital in our world today. I am your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here as usual with Father Stephen Gauthier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Alex. Uh, Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Uh, we're in Advent, Stephen, um, which is this uh, wonderful time of year where we're uh, anticipating um, Christmas. Uh, you know, me growing up, I, I never had Advent. It was just, you know, the time before Christmas and then <laughs> Christmas. So I've been really enjoying learning about all of the kind of family traditions of uh, all of the of, of Anglicans and Catholics and Orthodox. It's not something I grew up with. Um, and, uh, you know, last time we did a we did a Christmas episode uh, a long time ago. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, kind of the family tradition of the church, the having that Christmas octave. But I, I wanted to ask you, Stephen, uh, about the what the tradition of the church was um, leading up to Christmas, because I've 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 learned that it's really really different <laughs> than what I'm used to. So, what 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 did what did the time you know immediately preceding Christmas look like in the church? Well, that's a really good point because just as we had before Easter, you know, we have the week after Easter. You had to take a full week to do Easter. We call that an octave because mm-hmm. it's the day itself and the following seven days to the next Sunday. And Christmas, we said uh, in a previous episode, has the same thing. But we have Holy Week, which leads up to Easter, mm-hmm. and there's something very similar. The last week before, the last week of Advent, you know, the last days, the last seven days before Christmas itself, actually had a special building up period. They still still maintain in the traditional in the Catholic liturgy. It's a tradition that goes back to the eighth century. Um, and one thing that we have is, I think everybody knows that the one Advent hymn everyone knows is "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Right. Yeah, I think that's the only Advent hymn that I knew before. And that's what it goes to, because actually one of the things they did as part of this build up is every day you're just, every day you got one step closer, you know, getting ready for, for, for Christmas. Uh-huh. And what they did is there was the, the, there was a gospel canticle. The tradition is every morning prayer and evening prayer. Morning prayer was the Benedictus, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. And in the evening was the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. And what you'd have in the traditional office uh, was something called an antiphon. It was like, uh, it was a line that would sort of give you the main theme of, that you're to meditate on while you were praying that uh, that canticle. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, we lost those, and when we tried to simplify things, we had no objection to it. We tried to simplify the office. We lost those antiphons, but antiphons that we'd have were called the O antiphons, because what they didn't know that week. It's it's great. Is they would focus on on seven names of Christ, you know, having to do with the promise of the coming of the Messiah, mm. and it was based on that that we have O come O come Emmanuel. It was from, the, it, they were called the O antiphons. Could you say, O wisdom, O, you know, uh, okay. son of Jesse, O, and they call the, the great O's sometimes. Okay, I see. Actually, it's neat. Some of the great composers have written music to this, like Arvo Pard, we think, in the 20th century things, but mm. a number of them have written, written these. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Arvo, Arvo Pard fan. I share that. <laughs> I mean, probably the world's best known Estonian composer. Yes, I, I don't <laughs> know any more, any others. <laughs> but no, he's great. Uh, and so what this was, basically, is in, as it would work up, you know, as the liturgy would work up, is every night we'd have a different one of these. And this is the basis for what we have at, um, what we have in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Okay, I see. So so each, because, ver- yeah, I can hear it in there. O Come, Thou Day Spring, O, o Come. Right. Yeah, so those are the O's and the O antiphons then. 
Actually, and another thing we could, we can go through those, I suppose, in a, in a minute. Another thing that we have that's you know this parallel between Christmas and Easter because we said there are two great feasts of the church year. Yeah, Christmas and Easter. We say Easter is the basis for that movable calendar, right? All these feasts like Ascension and Pentecost that are built around it mm-hmm. that move the dates move, and then the other pillar of the church year is Christmas. Yeah, and so each one has a a week after really traditionally people would celebrate. And we also have a week of preparation before, which was, of course, Holy Week when it comes to Easter, and the special week of building up with the old antiphons. Okay. Where Fuentes come and come Emmanuel. And finally, the last, is that something happened on the day was very special. Traditionally, there's one Eucharist every Sunday. One, you know, you'd have more if you just couldn't fit everybody in, but the ideal was one Eucharist a Sunday was the ideal. They still do that in Orthodox churches. So one of the things in the Western church is the only time when there were three celebrations on the same day with different liturgies. Mm, mm. We know on Easter we have an Easter vigil, and we have a tradition, if you look at our lectionary, of a special uh, Eucharist at dawn. This is the uh, part of the origin of what we have, the, uh, a Protestant tradition of um, uh, uh, like dawn, um, yeah, sunrise, yeah, service, the, the, sunrise, the sunrise service. Sunrise service, Sunrise yeah, service. Yeah. And then you'd have the main service, you know, and, on Easter morning. We have the same thing at Christmas. There was a vigil, and that became what people probably know from its Roman Catholic incarnation, which is Midnight Mass. Okay, yeah, yeah. It would be the vigil. We came, it became Midnight Mass. And then we had a traditional uh, service in, early in the morning at the break of dawn. And then we'd have one during the day. And each has its own set of readings. I see. So if you look at it again, you have... Each of these two great pillars of the year, on the feast itself, you have a vigil that has its own special service. You have something at dawn, and then you have something in the morning. And they have all own separate liturgies, their own readings for mm-hmm. each one of those. And then you have a week after, and you have a week before prepping up. Okay. So this kind of, is the, is this intentionally patterned off of off of the the Easter movement, or does it kind of come up for similar reasons, or? Um, I don't know. It, it it comes up sort of um, organically. Okay, yeah. So I think people feel the need to build up. I see, you know, yeah. Because we're building up already with the weeks of Advent. But something, when you get that close, within the last week... Mm. It just seems fitting to, to, to build up in that way. Right. Oh. And we'd always move backwards. You know, we think of first, second, third, and fourth week of Advent. And the fourth week of Advent often is cut very, very short. Mm-hmm. But what happens, like in the Roman the traditional liturgy, is that you always start, no matter where you were in Advent... You know, seven days before starting on today, actually, December 17th, starting December 17th, you, you just switched over into these, regardless of the week of Advent, and you suddenly you're there. I see. The okay. last seven days was always this, no matter okay. where you were, no matter okay. how short Advent was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, let's 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 go through these 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 O antiphons and 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 talk about each one. Well, on December 17th, you know, which was the first of those days, it would be O Wisdom was the one. And the actual antiphon was, O wisdom, you came forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from end to end and ordering all things mightily and sweetly. Come and teach us the way of prudence. Hmm. And so we have an O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in her way to go. You see, I thought you were going to sing it for us. Is, are you not going to sing it for us? <laughs> I couldn't do that in this sacred season to our, our <laughs> listeners. You could. You have a wonderful voice. You actually uh, are a music leader in a congregation. Yeah. <laughs> by 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 um, by necessity only. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 really the the hymn just kind of distills that distills that 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 thought. That's that's really interesting. So so we've got December seventeenth. So what's on the eighteenth? Oh, Adonai, remember God's name, uh, in the, God's proper name is probably pronounced Yahweh, 
and the King James Bible, they say uh, Jehovah. That's a whole story episode we could have. That's actually a misunderstanding of how we get the name Jehovah. It was probably pronounced Yahweh. Mm-hmm. But when in synagogue, when you came to it, you couldn't actually say that name. So you'd say Adonai, meaning Lord. Right, right. And so, O Adonai. And so what we have uh, is, O Adonai and leader of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the flame of the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai. Come and with an outstretched arm, redeem us. Hmm. Also, that's a beautiful image that uh, some of our listeners might not be aware of. Is remember when Moses turns aside to the burning bush. I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but it's worth repeating if we have. Yeah. Is remember what attracts Moses. You know, he's a shepherd out there. What attracts him isn't a burning bush. You know, it's like Southern California. Bushes burning in the <laughs> desert is not an unusual phenomenon. Say, oh, I've got to see this. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. It was, it were very specific. The bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Mm. It's burning, but it's not consumed. I've got to see this. What's going on? And of course, the church saw this as the example. God's divinity meets humanity. Normally expect that humanity be consumed. Right, right. In Christ, we have divinity meets humanity and both live together incredibly, inexplicably. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Divinity and humanity, truly God and truly man, distincted, but inseparable. Yeah, yeah. So that special sign. Okay. Yeah, and that that that, that little image isn't isn't in the the song no. verse, but but it's it's in the original call. But that's uh, and so the actual verse from O Come O Come Emmanuel is O Come O Come Thou Lord of Might, Lord of Might, referring to Adonai, Lord, mm, right? Who to thy to the thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Mm-hmm. And then December nineteenth was root of Jesse. And there we'd have, uh, Jesse, of course, is David's father. Right. A root of Jesse who stands as an ensign to the people, before whom kings shall keep silence, and to whom the Gentiles shall make their supplication, come to deliver us and tarry not. Mm-hmm. And so we have in Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O come, thou rod of Jesse's stem, from every, from every foe deliver them, that trust thy mighty power to save, and give them victory o'er the grave. I've, al- I've always liked that. Uh, that little turn, the rod of Jesse's stem. Uh, yes. like it's like the the stem kind of in 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 the Davidic line becomes a rod in Jesus. <laughs> well, actually, uh, that's referring very specifically. It, it, the rod is the is the promise we have. Remember, uh, in the the blessing that Jacob gives to his sons to uh, to Judah. Yeah, and he talks about you know the the rod will not depart. Oh wow! From yeah, Judah. I, until wow. it, he comes to whom it belongs. That's right. That's right. I forgot. So it's about actually that. tying into that. Okay. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's making me like the song even more. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's, very it's, these are rich images of yeah, Christ. Yeah. And again, this goes back to at least the eighth century. We can trace it. Mm, wow. It's yeah. a very ancient tradition. Uh, on December twentieth, we have O Key of David, and the antiphon was O Key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, who open and no man shuts, who shut and no man opens. Come and bring forth from his prison house the captive who sits in darkness in the shadow of death. Yeah, so this is the key of David, right? The come, O key of David. David, come and yeah. open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high that we, no more, that we may no more have cause to sigh. Yeah, yeah. That we no more may have, that we no more have cause to sigh. Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> on the 21st, we have, this is odd because the Latin word is orions. And our readers might not know this, or our listeners rather, is that uh, orior in Latin means to rise. And you say, well, it sounds like the word orient, and the participle rising is oriens. Right, like east. That's where we get orient. 
That's where Orient comes from. Okay, so rising. Rising is the place where the rising sun comes from. And we have the same thing in Greek. That's where you get, you know, the land of mainland Turkey is called Anatolia. Well, that's the Greek version of sort of land of the rising. Ah, interesting. The rising in the east, you know, it's the rising. So actually what we have, the Latin from which this came was was originally, you know, was Oriens, you know, the... I, I, I would translate it O Dawn in the East. It's all very often com, uh, translated as O Day Spring. I see. Yeah, yeah. But it has that sense of East, rising and East. The two go together. Direction toward the rising sun. Yeah. As a footnote for some of our um, listeners, might be find interesting, is when you talk about orienting a map, mm, yeah. where that comes from, is it seemed logical to Romans that the top of a map should be East. So huh. you, fa- you face a map towards where the sun was coming up, and that yeah. was the top. So that's why we talk about orienting a map. Oh, Because instead of being north, the top of a map is east. Okay. And that's why in ancient maps, Jerusalem is at the top. It wasn't just religious. It's in the Mediterranean world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As you face east. Oh, I never thought about that. Orientation. Maybe orientation. Like pointing east. To point east. Normal. Because you could take yeah. your map and look at the sun, and you knew that was the right direction. Right, right, right. Oh, fascinating. Um, so the, the, the uh, antiphon was, O dawn of the east. Brightness of the light eternal and son of justice. Come and enlighten those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And okay. we have, I bet you know this one. Yeah, so it's so, well, O come, the, the one I'm familiar with is, o, o come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Um, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Yes. You know? Yeah. Or you should have sung that. You know how to sing. We're going to play chicken this, this whole episode and the first person to sing loses. <laughs> well, if you sing, I'll sing too. Okay. Okay, this, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> December 22nd, uh, we could really um, empty our broadcast. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, lose the momentum we've built up, Stephen, yes. so I'm going to protect that. O king of the nations, uh, or Gentiles, Mm -hmm. but nations. It says, O king of the nations, an object of their desire. Now, here's interesting. The two are together in the Latin. O king of the nations, an object of their desire. And Hmm. the Come, O Come, O Commanual builds on the second piece of that. I see. Uh, The cornerstone that both make one, and come and deliver man whom you formed out of the dust of the earth. So it says, O come, desire of the nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind, mm. that every strife and quarrel cease and fill the world with heaven's peace. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense now. So it's taking the, the second half of that, yes. of, of that thought, the object of the... The king of the nation. The, the king of the desire of the nation. The desire of the talking yeah. about breaking down the barrier. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so, this, so this one, this brings us to the, to the main one, right? This, this is the, the main one. The one that we start the, start the carol out on. Yes. Right? Uh, o Emmanuel, you know, God with us. O Emmanuel, our King and Lawgiver, the expected of the nations and their Savior, come to save us, O Lord our God. Okay. Okay, so the, the ver- okay, I'll sing the verse. Here okay. All right. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Until the Son of God appeared. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I did it. <laughs> Beautiful. But that's the, I love the tune though. It's so haunting and it yes. kind of, uh, it just kind of makes your heart yearn for, for, for what you're singing about. So, so maybe now that we realize that was yeah. part of the sort of Christmas Holy Week. Yeah. You know, preparation yeah. of give it even a special sense that uh, those, those are the seven things we thought of with Christ. I see. All of those are very scriptural. Most are from Isaiah. Mm. Uh, we have some from Exodus. 
mm-hmm. you know, but all are, are titles of Christ. Yeah, yeah. I always like it when, you know, the things, one thing I've really loved about liturgical traditions is when the things that we sing um, really line up with the what we're remembering in the scriptures and this in the season and what the theme of the season is and um i i like it when you know some of the best music leaders that i've had in our church are the ones that would actually reach out to what i was pre to me to ask what i was preaching on that sunday to say they wanted to make sure that the music lined up thematically right. with what i was talking about so i i, I really like um I've, I've really liked this this element of liturgical worship where all of all of the you know the collects and the music and all of these things line up with what's going on and as we've explained that's one of the key parts of our western tradition in the liturgy in the east the tendency is except for big seasons where you'll change the um what they call the anaphora the offering prayer mm-hmm. or we call it the eucharistic prayer or the canon um, basically, it's the same every week. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Whereas we love to switch it out. We're, I think I once compared it. Um, the Western liturgy is like people who decorate their house for every holiday. Right. Yeah. 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 And so we always are switching out our collects, you know, switching out our preface. Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're, we're doing those things to, uh, to try to maximize the lesson of the season. I see. Okay. Got it. Okay, so those are the, the so those are the so those those are the O antiphons, or sometimes the great O's or the O antiphons, and mm-hmm. again they, uh, at the Reformation we dropped them from our morning and evening prayer because we were trying to simplify as much as possible because they used to have every psalm had antiphons and things. Uh-huh. We still have some. We have the uh, antiphon around the invitatory, in morning prayer. Right. Which which one is that? I I can't remember. Well, the text it's by uh, O come, let's sing to the Lord. Let's make a joyful noise to the Rock of That's our... right. Before yeah. that, be, before and after, we 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 pray an antiphon that says, "Come, let us adore Him." Okay. The first part of something, and it'll be, "Oh, come, let us adore Him." Right. Yeah, that's right. And we do it both at the beginning and the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, every psalm used to. It still is in the Roman Breviary. Every psalm is like that. Okay. It gives you a theme sort of like theme music to go, especially for a Christian interpretation of the psalm mm-hmm. with every psalm. And to try to, they tried to pull back a little bit to make it simpler and shorten it. But we had no objections um, uh, in any religious sense to it. It was just we were just trying to simplify it. But yeah. it's something we've sort of cherished, and a lot of Anglicans now, especially since the liturgical revival, have been coming back into right. the old antiphons. Right. We've always used yeah. Okama Kama Emmanuel. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, wow. Oh, that's great. So we might talk about those readings. The fact that we have those three different services on Christmas is that, um, you know, we normally have a three-year cycle. What's interesting is we don't when it comes to Christmas. It's every year we have, th- we have different readings for each service, mm-hmm. but they're always the same readings. The readings you have at, um, the, if you have the equivalent of a midnight mass, that is to say a, a mass on Christmas Eve, uh-huh. you have a Eucharist on Christmas Eve, actually from our point of view. Uh, you're going to have the. It's always the same set of readings. Okay, so there's no year A, year B, year C. No switching out. For they're these. exactly okay. the same. Yeah. And uh, what we have on Christmas Eve, the main theme with the gospel, is it's interesting because they think people might not go to all of these liturgies. So the idea we wouldn't expect them to go to more than one. You know, people went, and so what happens is the story that has the announcement, the angels to the shepherds in the fields, and then they come and visit the Christ child. Mm-hmm. So what you could have is you, you, uh, I, what you would have at a minimum is at the Christmas Eve, you'd have the announcements of the shepherd in the field. But you could expand that if you don't want to miss it for people who aren't going to go in the dawn then. Come okay. back at dawn. You could expand it and also include the shepherds come to the manger. Mm-hmm. The next morning, it's the shepherds come to the manger. But you could, ex- you could, you could, you could um, extend it backwards. I see. So at a minimum, the idea of the key theme of of 
uh, Christmas Eve uh-huh. is going to be the angels with the announcement. I yes. bring you tidings of great joy to thee. Hugh, in the city of David is born a Savior, Christ right. the Lord. The separate shepherds coming as the kenosis, Christ pouring himself out. They find this. What's this wonder? They see a baby in a manger. Yeah. It's a beautiful the kenosis, the pouring out. Mm. You know. And then the what really shocks people typically is that the gospel for the for Christmas Day is the first uh, first part of the chap of uh, chapter one of John. Right. Yeah. It it People yeah. look shocked, like, where are the angels and the baby in the manger? Yeah, where's the, where's the, the, where's the nativity scene? Where's the nativity you know? scene? Yeah. But remember we said that when we looked at those Gospels, is the church always looked upon God. John, he's called the theologian in the Eastern Church. John is the one who tells us in the deepest sense, what does it all mean? Right. And so you can't go past the Feast of the Incarnation, which is Christmas, without having John tell us, what's, the f- what's really going on here? Yeah. This is yeah. not a, just about some baby in a manger. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm, mm. So that one's, we, we, we have to make sure that the meaning of the, 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 re, the meaning of the season is, is, is It's right not the there. feast of a cute baby. <laughs> because we can easily make it because it's such a beautiful story saying the real miracle this night uh-huh. is what has happened. You know, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You know, with through him, everything was made. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. yeah. Saying that's what Christmas is all about. Yeah. This is so important that, again, we'd say that we don't expect people to have been in all three services. The church was so concerned in its history, we preserve this in our Anglican liturgy, uh, that people could not miss this gospel, mm-hmm. that actually it's repeated the Sunday after Christmas. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which, as you might know as a preacher, can be a real challenge since you've just preached on it on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you Did take come up with two takes on the same yes <laughs> on the same gospel reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I preach Christmas every year at the cathedral, and um, after years, we have a real. <laughs> There's yeah. What what more can you say? <laughs> oh no no, it's, it's rich, but we just keep going, uh, going uh-huh. different illustrations. For sure. Maybe we could take a look at some of the uh, some some of the key points of the scriptures that uh, make it into the make it into the, the the cycle of Christmas readings. Right. Well, in the Christmas Eve, when we come to the Old Testament, the reading is that beautiful Isaiah. But the peak, people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and this is playing on the fact of the angels in the fields. You know, mm-hmm. There's light mm-hmm. in this darkness. You know, there's, there's suddenly the heavenly host in the light. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and the, also in the same reading, Isaiah nine one through seven. For to us a child is born, a son is given. Yeah. So that's the great, that's the Old Testament reading. The New Testament is Titus, Titus 2, where it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Mm. And when we come to the dawn, it's Isaiah 62. Yeah. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those Isaiah. I oh, love those yes. Isaiah readings. They're... I believe it was St. Jerome who described Isaiah as the fifth gospel. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty apt description. Yeah, yeah. And then Titus 3, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Mm-hmm. So that focus on the appearance. That's a dawn. And then in the morning we have, again, how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Yeah. It's about seeing for the first time what's what's Right. So there's always an Isaiah passage. uh, And there's there's always a... uh, The Hebrews, though, I forgot to mention, Hebrews on the the main uh, Eucharist, which is the one in, in the morning. That's where it says, here's the difference, because you know, God has been talking to us forever. Mm-hmm. 
It says long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's nice to see Titus get some play as well. <laughs> yes, I mean, tw- yeah, twice. Uh, Titus gets, yeah. gets good play. <laughs> so then so then we end with that just that that John 1 word becoming flesh uh you know on 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 Christmas day. So there's one thing that might some of our readers who might have a Roman Catholic background might remember that for several centuries they had something called the last gospel. The last gospel. What it was is after the Eucharist would end in a Roman Catholic church, they would always read John's gospel. It was the very last thing you did in this, you know, you read John's gospel. Mm. The first chapter of John. And the real origin was this. It's a sort of interesting origin. I like liturgical history. Is actually, it was a special prayer. It was what the um, what the bishop was supposed to pray as he went back to the sacristy. Oh, they give you advice for the personal prayer. It's a personal prayer. Like pray John one. Yeah, he pray John one. You know, just not waving to be. He's praying John one. He's still in a prayerful place. Still gets back to the sacristy. Yeah. What actually happened is the bishop often would just stay there and pray it at the altar. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so it actually became, and they started doing it out loud, and it became part of it, you know, so Pius V made it part of the Tridentine Mass. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. So, so it just begins by, you know, everyone being like, oh, he's still up there, we can't go home yet. But <laughs> and, actually, yes, and, and, it started, and also, I sort of like, they used to have something called prayers at the foot of the altar. Yeah. And those yeah. also were originally private prayers the priest did to get ready. Mm-hmm. And something you just go into the altar and start there, and it became part of the... Part of Tridentine the mass, part yeah. of the mass. I also, yeah, I really, honestly, I've I've come to also really love that that aspect of liturgy that kind of starts to snowball other things, you know, the barnacle kind of, effect, right? Starts to accumulate, you know. I th- I, I suppose things can get uh, top heavy after a while, but uh, I I'm always astounded at the just the like just the significance of the mass then it's so significant that everything that happens in it and around it and is is everyone's paying attention to everything and and it you know it's almost like this this kind of uh gravity well of significance that draws things into it and makes them holy you know so i've i've, I've always appreciated of course that. there's one great liturgical uh, writer has pointed out in the 20th century basically all liturgical reform is about scraping off barnacles yeah <laughs> because you know one of the things that characterizes the western liturgy actually in the second vatican council for the roman church described it certainly described what's always characterized anglican liturgy uh-huh. has been uh Noble simplicity. It's a very Roman way. The West, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the simpler is better. Yeah. You know, Roman, you know, the, you know, noble simplicity. Mm-hmm. And so the trouble is, you get too much, you can get lost. The significance sure. of details, like baptisms, used to be extraordinarily elaborate. All sorts of things that you might miss the main sign. Yeah. Yeah. I see. You know, sometimes you get lost in a sea of details. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, anything else you'd have for us to prepare for our um, for our, our Christmas festivities coming up soon? The most important thing is what's the fundamental tie? You know, there's a Christmas carol that says Christ was born for this. Right. I love that song. I yeah. love that. But that's a fundamental point of theology. Why did we talked about that in another, in another uh, episode? I think another Christmas episode mm-hmm. is the reason, you know, like it says in Hebrews, God has talked to us in many ways. Visions, the angel of the Lord, speaking to the prophets. God didn't need to become incarnate mm-hmm. to speak to us, to communicate with us. He became incarnate for one fundamental reason. He had to die for us, and he had to be a human being to do that. The the immortal had to take on mortality. Mm -hmm. And so that's the real thing to remember. Christ was born for this. Uh, That's why in the Eastern icons, as we mentioned in the past, is in the Nativity icon, 
the the manger is always in the form of a tomb. Right, right. And Christ is wrapped up like in burial cloths, like we could see Lazarus, sure. reminding us he's born to die. So it's like tying that Christmas pillar to the Easter, to the, it, to it's the really Good to, Friday Easter Absolutely. Pillar. Yeah. Never to lose the tie. The meaning of Christmas only comes through the lens of Easter. Thank you so much, Father Stephen, and thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.